Welcome to The Buzz, a bank automation news podcast. I'm associate editor, Elijah Poindexter. Recently, I spoke with Anil Mahalaha, head of solutions and a founding member at Open Finance and API vendor, Akoya, a recent addition to our bank automation news emerging fintech directory. Akoya uses APIs to take the place of screen scraping, enabling some of the nation's largest banks and their customers to securely share and interact with data. Sure, yeah, and I'm actually a a founding employee, so to speak, of Akoya. Uh, And so Akoya started back, uh, uh, actually back in 2018, uh, we were part of the Fidelity Access API group that was standing up APIs uh, for Fidelity uh, investments. And the reason we were doing that is because Fidelity realized the amount of screen scraping that was going on. And screen scraping, obviously, as you know, is based on password, right? So end users were sending, uh, sharing their username passwords with fintechs out there. And this was really concerning to Fidelity, where, you know, the the fintechs had, uh, you know, Fidelity uh, username password. So what we started looking into is how we can make it more secure uh, for the customer and, and the customer's data. Right, because when the fintechs were coming in, they were not only, uh, for example, if there were, you know, if there was a payment use case that the end user goes to uh, the fintech for, the fintechs were going to an aggregator, and the aggregator was scraping much more than just the account number, routing number that is needed for money movement. So Fidelity realized that, and then also realized that as we were as Fidelity going through the process of uh, tokenizing or, or standing up token servers and APIs, we realized that uh, there was a gap in the industry where other financial institutions were also running up against the same issues and trying to figure out the same, uh, you know, on their own. And so, therefore, uh, uh, you know, we uh, got in touch with a few of them and with the help of Clearinghouse, uh, uh, back in February of 2020, Acquia became an independent company, which is jointly owned by, you know, uh, about 11 uh, North American banks and, and Fidel plus Fidelity Investments. Obviously, the the sort of space Acquia is working in is, is very crowded. How does Acquia make it unique, right? Of course, you need uh, Acquia answered a unique need, but when it comes to the client experience, what is Acquia doing, or what does Acquia do that makes it a sort of a unique, differentiated uh, experience uh, for your client? Yeah, so our clients are really the data providers, which are the banks and the data receivers, right? So those are those are really our clients. And for the for the data providers, what we are providing is one integration and one contract for the data providers. Uh, and that'll give them access to or give the fintechs access to multiple data providers on the Acquia network. So fintech connects once and they have access to all the data providers. On the other side, the data providers only have to deal with one contract with Acquia and doesn't have to negotiate with every data recipient. We also have the financial data exchange compatibility. So we provide the data providers, you know, compatibility with financial data exchange. So we take in their APIs, whatever form they are. Uh, and then when we provide that data to fintechs, it's in it's in FTX format. Um, we have we host their test environments as well. So if you are a bank and you're you don't have a lower environment made available for uh, applications to test against, uh, Acquia does that uh, through a uh, through a hosted test environment. We eventually have a bank that marks all the bank's data. Uh, we call it Mecomo Bank. Um, we have. In addition to that, we have a data recipient registry, so a directory, I should say, um, so the data providers can go through the directory and get information on on the vetting information that we have done uh, on the data recipients. Management console is another example where they can log in, single sign-on into the management console and manage the data that is leaving there, uh, you know, through their APIs. 
Uh, we provide them the due diligence information we, we did on the data recipients, and then we enable their customers to uh, for, through the consent flow through authentication. And we also provide account selection. So if the bank doesn't want to do it, we can we can provide account selection. And it goes on, actually, there's much more. We provide permission dashboard. We provide APIs to the banks that they can call to see you know, who their uh, end users are sharing data to. So that's something that we provide to the data providers. And also the other side of the clients that we have is data recipients. And to the data recipients, uh, we provide permission access to the financial data. And we and uh, through that, we provide numerous use cases uh, that uh, um, uh, the fintechs wants to want to leverage PFM, business finance management, lending, credit enhancement, so multiple uh, use cases uh, through the API endpoints that we have that provide them balances, transfers, uh, sorry, transactions, investments, payments, customer information. Uh, uh, we also have for the data recipients a very neat thing. It's the data recipient hub, so the data recipient can can self sign on. Uh, and all the way to production, uh, they get onto the data recipient hub. They can see what financial institutions we are supporting. They get a library of the data fields that the each bank is providing. They also have test beds that they can test their endpoints against. We provide them, uh, you know, API availability, SLAs. Um, efficient pricing, obviously, tiered pricing is also available. Uh, and the biggest difference for the data recipients that we have is we don't store data, right? So we are just transparently providing them data. We don't know who the end user is. We have we don't we don't, we don't have any data on their clients. Uh, so it makes it uh, easy for them to uh, you know to 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 trust Koya. So what automates? Uh, so automation in terms of onboarding. Right, so the the data recipients automatically onboard onto the Acquire platform. Uh, they can check check the data uh, providers they want to get data from. That is all automated. Uh, they can test out our API endpoints uh, through the uh, through the Mikomo Bank, as I had mentioned. And then when they are ready for production, right, then they uh, they check the uh, the data providers they want data from, and and that uh, they can start using the they they can they have access to their own client ID secrets that we have automated, and then they get access to the data provider data. Uh, it's all um, for the most part without any intervention on our part. You know, in the you know the pandemic, the ensuing shift to digital uh, across financial services has data or uh, you know changed at all? And, and if it has, how have you seen it? You, you know, sort of modify and, and and sort of change over time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have seen the effect of the pandemic. Uh, you know, the number of fintechs have really grown uh, in the past couple of years since you know since the beginning of 2020. Uh, and mostly around open finance, uh, you know, this free flowing of data from the consumer financial uh, cons consumer, uh, you know, data through their financial institutions. Uh, so the proliferation of the open finance has led to unregulated entities out there uh, that we believe that are storing a large amount of fintech data, like financial data. So uh, new new fintechs are storing financial data there, that includes username and password. So we have seen that uh, landscape shift uh, and, and grow. Uh, and uh, the data aggregators, are, or you could call them the middle layers uh, in the financial data sharing exchange, um, and they they store all the uh, customer data that they then provide to the financial institutions. And not just during the pandemic, but uh, over the past 20 years, the aggregators have used screen scraping to get the data uh, and and with the with the consumer credentials, right? And then. Uh, as far as getting rid of the screen scraping and moving over to the APIs, that transition has been very slow. 
Um, you know, we have seen that all along and, and even now during the pandemic. And even before the pandemic, there was a U.S. Treasury report that came out that said that uh, the um, the financial services company, their aggregators, they all agree uh, that sharing login, login credentials constitute a high risk, right, especially in the environment we are in now with some of these aggregators have more uh, username and passwords than the financial institutions themselves because they have aggregated the, the username and passwords, and that is all in one repository, which is which is quite a high risk, um, you know, during during this um, this time. What are some of the? Maybe you can give me a few best practices for a bank or or, or a larger credit union, a financial institution, if you will. What are some best practices there for maybe managing, interpreting, sort of doing business? Uh, for lack of a better term, uh, with again these massive streams of data, but regulated, unregulated, consumer, uh, back end, uh, obviously embedded and open data sharing becoming a part of that. What are some best practices for a bank there when it comes to you know kind of managing and, and interpreting that data? The other part of my role actually is uh, with Financial Data Exchange FTX, and I'm a co-founding member of the Financial Data Exchange, and I uh, uh, co-chair of a couple of uh, committee, uh, a committee and, and working group out there. And one of the things that we started to look into is data clusters and how do you manage the information. So the data cluster term is, is was for the end user where you tell the end user, okay, we the fintech would tell them we need your account information, we need your transactions, we need your inf investment information, and that would be passed on to the data provider and it makes it very succinct uh, for them to provide that data that is being requested by the fintech. So as opposed to you know, looking at your entire record keeping databases and seeing what data is required, you can now have it bite-sized into data clusters and provide the data clusters. So that helps them manage the data. And then you can combine the clusters. You can use the clusters as a building block to provide data to a use case. Uh, so for example, the personal financial management use case has data clusters, it's account basic, is this transaction use case, uh, data cluster, investment data cluster. Uh, there is other data clusters out there for, for personal information. So customer data cluster would give you uh, data on the on the end user, which you can use for account verification uh, and even for money movement. So that's one way to to uh, you know to get your arms around the proliferation of the of the data uh, in the banks. Maybe you can uh, you know what are some emerging technologies uh, in the sort of data space in the broader digital. Uh, financial services space. What are some of the emerging technologies you've seen, or or that you think uh, we'll start to see more that really excites you, or or, or really gets your interest up? Uh, so for the financial data sharing space, I think uh, you know we see uh, the tokenization we talked about early on. Uh, we see that uh, as quite beneficial. It it secures the end user where their account number, uh, routing number, is not being shared. So that we see. Uh, as something emerging. The other part we see is where the financial institutions themselves could be data recipients, right? So they are providers of the data, but they're also huge consumers of the data, where if you have a mortgage application on your bank site, you can then uh, have the end user fill that out using data from other banks. So Aqua can, um, can provide the data providers on board the data providers, I should say, as data recipients. And then also, uh, you know, new products that are coming out in the in the open finance space for new account opening for payment enablement and all that stuff that uh, that are new things that are being worked on uh, in FDX and in and in the Korea. 
Um, and lastly, I would say, you know, from an Acquire point of view, at least, you know, the API data, the data that is available uh, through the Acquire APIs right now, about 65% of uh, DDA accounts are available through Acquire. A third of the retail brokerage accounts go through Acquire. A quarter of the defined contributions go through Acquire. 60% of the credit card data issued is go through Acquire. So uh, as we grow, we will make more data uh, uh, available on our platform, which will help open finance and then all the innovation that is going on in this space is fed through all the data that passes through Acquia. Excellent, and you brought us to our to our final point. Of course, we started with Acquia. We can finish with Acquia as well. So, you know, from your perspective, uh, what what's next for Acquia? Where's Acquia going to go next uh, with their technology strategy? What kind of moves are on the horizon for Acquia? Yeah, so enabling more use cases is really what Acquia is focused on uh, to provide, uh, you know, not just open banking, which is more about payments, uh, but open open finance, uh, enabling uh, different use cases, uh, uh, like I talked about account verification use cases, uh, you know, money movement use cases, other types of use cases uh, that will help the data recipients use the data. Uh, and then Acquire is committed to uh, removing uh, cr credentials out of the market, right, to de-risk the financial uh, data sharing space. Um, so that's really what we are focused on. We are focused on providing uh, tools and technologies to data providers if they don't have APIs stood up or if they don't have uh, OAuth servers stood up and also make it easy for the data recipients to to use Acquia because we have FTX APIs, it makes it easy for them to to uh, to integrate with Acquia, and also it makes them interoperable. If they if they want to go somewhere else, they can they can use somebody else's API as long as they're FTX APIs. You've been listening to the Buzz, a bank automation news podcast. Thank you for your time, and be sure to visit us at bankautomationnews.com for more automation news. You can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Please don't hesitate to rate this podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Thank you.